I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today is a very, very dear friend, a man I love very much, and I just love watching how his career is progressing. This is, of course, the head coach of Indiana University and Indiana Swim Club. He is also the 2020 Coach of the Year and Swammy Award winner. We have Ray Luz. Mel, thank you for helping me achieve one of my career goals. I, 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 owe it, I owe it all to Swim Swam and Muhammad Sammy and Lily King. Honestly, you, you have a wonderful organization that has done a lot to, um, you know, elevate swimming as a sport. And, and it really is an honor to be recognized by Swim Swam. And, uh, you know, really, really want to thank you. I want, I want to put this in context for you, buddy. The, 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 <laughs> all the Swammy Awards, the most read was Caleb Dressel's. Yours, I think, was the third most read. But this, but you were topped by the Swammy Award for the, the for the the biggest Instagram viral video. I I, I just don't want to break it to you. <laughs> do, do you have an Instagram account? What's your handle? Um, I do actually. Um, it is. You, you see, I just like that you have to look it up when you I don't know. Have, I actually have to look it up here. Um, where do mm -hmm. I find that? Here's it. You, you you go to Instagram. You look up. We're, this is an old person moment that is like is, oh, is, goodness. is embarrassing. I'll just say follow Gold Medal Mel. That's we'll just take all this time to say follow Gold Medal Mel. So drop your Instagram uh, handle because I actually do. I do follow. I'm just don't have the phone in front of me. I have my. I got. Uh, it. I got it. it. It's um, at Ray Loops. That's it. All lowercase. Yeah. So. I, I stayed up all night creating that, that handle, by the way. It's like that it took you a good 30 or 40 seconds to, to look up your own Instagram handle, which is your name. And, uh, you know, here's, let's, let's frame it a different way. We'll, 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 you know, you came on the podcast the first time and with me and, uh, and I really enjoyed that because we, we basically did a breaststroke clinic and it was, it was fantastic. It was a masterclass introductory, um, uh, breaststroke clinic from you and I, and I, I just, I, I loved it. So I rewatched it. And, but what really upset me was that I had to do so much preparation in like digging into your background and I was learning things I didn't know. And one of the things is that you're a Rhodes Scholar finalist, graduated magna cum laude with the degree in finance. And, and then I was like, I started to get a little bit like insecure because now I've got it. We've got to do this podcast. And then you drop on me. I'm like, Hey, what topic you want to talk about? And you're like, uh, proprioception. And I know zero about proprioception. So I'm like sweating bullets, trying to prepare, reading research papers. Um, on the, on when I did a Google search, the, like the third Google search was that proprioception doesn't work for swimming. And I'm like, I, I you know, I think Ray might have a different opinion, but it's, uh, I did enjoy getting into that topic. I want to get into it in three minutes. Sure. Do you want to tease it? Tease it for me. Well, well, I owe that the, you know, the term, um, I was, I, I did a club visit in, um, Fort Collins, Colorado, 
five or six years ago when I was just getting into what, what we do here at Indiana. <clears throat> and I go, I don't really know what to call this. And the guy, I was having lunch with Chris Webb, you know, great club coach, really good guy, really smart. And he goes, oh, he goes, that's easy. It's proprioception. And I, I was, I, like you, I had to look it up. But, you know, the, the definition, one definition, and I know you have your own, is perception or awareness of the position and movement of the body. So, um, which in swimming, if you can actually, you know, enhance that, you're way ahead of the, the ball game. Okay, we're going to spend the bulk of the podcast talking about proprioception, and uh, and that's your teaser. We're gonna we're gonna cover some uh, just interesting topics right off the top. But I'm I, I will say this is my def, my defin, my definition of proprioception. It's mind body connection, ladies and gentlemen. True. True. And and that was something Mel Stewart, as a swimmer, everyone was phenomenal at. You were one of the gifted people that just did it on your own. I'm excited to hear what, what you had to say about it because of, because of what you share with me in your notes ahead of this podcast. But just um, we, we have to kind of address the elephant in the room and, and, and where we are right now in history. And uh, so you're earning this award from us, which we take very seriously. And, and, and what struck me when I read it, because, you know, and I saw the votes, I saw the tallies, I saw the analysis. And, I, and what struck me was that you were being recognized and it, it, it never comes from the, what's happened in that year. It's really all the years before that. And uh, so we rolled into a pandemic year. Mm -hmm. uh, the worst year, we, we're going to have more dead than World War II. Uh, haven't had a, had a pandemic since the Spanish flu, the swine flu back in you know, 1918. And yet your athletes performed. And um, did, did you... Did you have fear coming into this year? You know, will my athletes flatline? Will they not perform? Uh, or did you have confidence in the base level and all those years of prep that you had done? Uh, I always have fear. Uh, I'm, I'm always afraid that, you know, if, if we don't innovate or we don't, you know, do a good job that everything could kind of go away, every bit of success. Uh, but I will say this before I kind of answer that. I think it's kind of who you surround yourself with. So I want to, you know, recognize my coaching staff, John Long, Corey Chitwood, Emily Eaton, Luke Ryan, Delia Weber, and, and all the swimmers that, that kind of make that possible because without, without them, no awards happen. And, and we're just as proud of, you know, Muhammad Sami being African swimmer of the year because not a lot of Egyptians. He may be the first Egyptian ever to get it. And in his country, it's a huge deal. So, um, you know, it, it probably is sort of a, an accumulation of things. But I think uh, chaos happens. It happens at swim meets. It sometimes happens to you when you're least expecting it and how you perform in chaos. And chaos is a pandemic. Um, that says a lot about you. And some, some, in some cases, it's a little bit easier. Um, like in collegiate athletics, it's been a lot harder. Like I'm both a collegiate coach and a pro coach. And I found it was much easier to work with my pro athletes because I, I just had a little more flexibility. <clears throat> Whereas, you know, in, in a university setting, you have conferences and administrations and 
you know, um, and they have to be careful with their, with their risk. So, and it just, you know, makes it harder to actually, you know, do it, do, do a good job of coaching. So we've, we've done our best. That's all I can say. Another topic that's really interesting right now is that, you know, because of the year we are, everyone wants there to be meets and it appears that there, that, uh, swimming has been, we haven't had a lot of, uh, we report when there's infections and they've just been tiny because uh, I think coaches and I think uh, USC swimming, I think that everybody's doing it right. But um, you have the semblance of a Big Ten season. It, it's uh, based on what I'm reading. Is it, how was that developed? And because it sounds like there was a lot going on in the background. We have met as Big Ten coaches since March, every single week, without exception. And we we just we negotiated and talked and talked and talked. And it took months to kind of come up with what we thought we could do, at least in terms of the Big Ten championship. And um, as far as the dual meets go, that was really just a conference um, directive. So we, we were told we're just going to do football, men's basketball, women's basketball, try to do that, and then we'll do everything else after January 1st. So we have three meets. We have Northwestern Michigan, January 16th here. We'll have Ohio State here January 23rd. Uh, still kind of negotiating how those things are going to be, um, how they're, how they're going to be operated. Um, we, I believe we will be able to have parents at the Ohio State meet because it is a, it, it's not a multi-university event. Our, our facility was deemed um, inadequate for social distancing if it's more than one school. And then we have Purdue um, and Rutgers at West Lafayette, February 6th. So I think as a conference, we're trying to figure out, should we suit, should we not? Because like if you were to get, to get an outbreak the week of Big Tens, your season's over. Um, so we, we don't – it's similar to Big Ten football. We don't have much of, a, much of a margin for error. And for the first time ever, we turned the scheduling of the dual meets over to the conference so that no one got left out. And so we did a survey of preferred opponents, and then they took into consideration like distance and cost, you know, mitigation to give us a schedule. The Big Ten uh, conference will be diving only at Purdue, men and women last week of February. Women will be at Minnesota last week of February. So that's gonna be just like the timing of Pac-12s now. So we backed it up a week to buy ourselves one more week. And then the men will be first week of March at Ohio State. All those facilities were chosen because they offer the greatest amount of deck space and spectator space. That was it. Interesting. No, thanks for thinking that. That was very enlightening. So has the, obvious, I mean, it's sorry, dumb question. Has the pandemic changed your goals for this collegiate season? No. It's all it's the just, same. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's all the same. It's just made it, it's just made it uh, a little more challenging. Um, and uh, it's, it's made me a more patient person, um, a definitely a more grateful person. Um, when, when we in the Big Ten, we were not able to coach our kids until like basically September. That was a conference rule. And um, I, I just missed coaching. I've always loved like practice my favorite part of the day but but that that was really hard on us all and so now 
when I have practice, I, I am super grateful to get to coach. Dinner with your wife and Omar, I think, should be the, the, the best part of your day. You're correct. Good answer. I, I, I was very disappointed because we weren't, we weren't talking from your home, and I could see Omar, your Velcro dog. And uh, so I, just had, I had to give a shout-out to Omar. Oh, Omar is the best, and he and I really – we've gotten to know each other to a, to a much more high level. And like my wife always tells me, she goes, you don't really know that dog like I do. And now I do. That's okay. It's good. Do- dogs are good. And during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so uh, NC2As every, I think, I think that we have a, a, after this year when we have so many teams that are being cut, uh, college swimming is almost like a religion. People love it so very, very much. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are white knuckling it. They're, they're saying, can we have an NC2A? Can it be fair? Can it be safe? And, um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, uh, <clears throat> I think we should be concerned about, you know, our sport. Uh, because anytime there's a financial downturn in 08, 09, you saw a bunch of sports cut. Um, and it's just, they, you know, administrations are sort of opportunists. They, they don't have to be doing the number of sports they're doing. And um, the costs have kind of gone out of control. As far as like what we do for kids, you know, do we really need to give them $3,000 in Adidas gear every year? I mean, we, we do. We're one of the lucky ones. But um, I'm concerned. But I, I will say this to coaches that if you do a really good job of running your program and you're as successful as you can be, you give yourself a chance. You know, so, you know, the, the vulnerable ones are the ones that are, you know, their facility, they haven't upgraded their facility, they're at the bottom of their conference, they, they leave themselves vulnerable. So um, I think as, as a college coach, you, you have a lot of control to some degree, not, not 100% to what happens to your program, how it's valued by your administration. And you also have to be real careful not to cause them any trouble. Like athletic directors d- don't want to have to think about swimming other than, hey, Great job, coach. Thanks for the good GPA. Congratulations on a successful season. I mean, here at Indiana, um, the Olympics is huge. They, they just love it. Um, but, you know, they, they don't like uh, if, if somebody, you know, steps out of line. So, and it's never been harder as a collegiate coach to, to manage those things. You know, you, you, you honestly have a lot of minefields. Every day there's, there's a fire to put out. And I think I told you this, but this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And I've done some pretty hard things, some very, very challenging things. And this is one of the most challenging things. I love it, but um, it's, it's, um, it isn't easy. I talked to a lot of young coaches who are coming up and they want to be <clears throat> one coaches and they want to be on deck at the, the biggest programs. And they're always asking me about what's going on in, in the background with admin. And I said, you know, my personal opinion is, uh, ADs don't want to hear from, they don't want to hear about the swim team. They want the swim team to have a great GPA. They want them to be consistent. They want consistent success, but you don't have to go out and, and, you know, if you want to win, it's because you want to win. They just want it to be stable and problem free. And uh, it seems like a lot of people, a lot of coaches don't get that memo. No, it's, it's true, but I'll, I'll sh- give a couple shout-outs in my own conference. Kelly Kramer, 
he saved Minnesota swimming because of the way he handled his program. Dan Ross um, is beloved at Purdue. And, you know, if you knew Dan in the 80s, he was in a little dungeon. Uh, and now they have one of the nicest facilities in the country. And that administration loves him. He's a great fundraiser. They'll put him in front of, you know, powerful, you know, well-to-do alums. So there's lots of ways to skin a cat, but th those are two of my colleagues in the Big Ten that have really, really done a great job. And, and Bill Wadley, um, I don't know if there was a better fundraiser, and that's, that's why he's the executive director of ASCA now, because that, that's needed. Everybody's got to fundraise. Pretty soon Swim Swam will be fundraising, because United States Swimming has a, a, a dedicated department to that now, too. It's um, it is sort of the way of the world. It's what everyone does. Yeah. The so I, Coley was one of your your coaches, and he he had a great success at, at IU, and and it was a and I think it was a <laughs> celebration of sorts when he entered the SEC. And I'm a, I'm an SEC alum. I swimming mm -hmm. at Tennessee. I always loved racing against Alabama, and I loved seeing them successful. And I was really excited to see what he would develop down there. And now it, he, he I'm I'm sure you saw. As a surprise to a lot of people, he abruptly left. And uh, I, I didn't know – I have a lot of emotion about that because I'm proud of the SEC. I, I didn't know how you felt about it. You know, he's – Coley is a – he's a very bright person. And what he does, not a lot of people do in the sport. And um, and it and it absolutely gets results. And I think that if, if he gets an opportunity to, you know – to do that, you know, in, in a positive way, you know, things can, can, can move forward for him. Um, but there, there's good, you know, and there's stuff probably he needs to work on. And I'm sure, I'm sure he's aware of that. And he's a very competitive person. So I think that'll drive him to, you know, self-improvement and whatnot. And I wish, I wish him the very best of luck coaching pros and elites. You know, what's interesting is I talk to a lot of parents and I, and I talk to them through, they subscribe to some sort of magazine and I, and I talk to parents or grandparents and, and I probably talk to four or five sets of parents and grandparents and their kids are looking at IU or they're, or they're, or they're, or they're, or they're committed. And um, they always ask me, you know, my opinion. And I'm like, I said, here's the deal. I said, my, I said, I think that certain coaches are great and they expect um, they expect a level of professionalism and they have the, they expect character and they expect it to be mirrored. And I said, you know, it, it's, this isn't, this is a, this is a big moment. This is a challenge. Your, your, your son, your daughter, they have to, they've got to step up. They've got to grow. They got to grow up. And, um, it's, uh, I, am I representing you correctly based on my experience from, from the national team and watching your career? Absolutely. And I think there's a little more. I mean, here, you know, when I came here, they, you know, this had been like one of the best places in swimming and it, it, it wasn't anymore. And they didn't even really have goals to make it that way. Um, but I was like, well, this is, you know, got so many more resources than the University of Pacific where I was previously. And um, I, 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 I was raised to have high expectations of myself and those that I, that I work with. And I was raised with a work ethic. And those, those are two things that I, that I live by. And 
it's, it's okay to work hard. John Urbanichek told me, um, you know, when we were at the Olympics in Rio, he said, Ray, and, and for, those of, for those younger people in the audience, John Urbanichek was a great Michigan coach, really arguably one of the greatest coaches in United States history. Mel, Mel certainly knows him well, and he's a beloved figure, but he said, Ray, work still works. You know, there, there, are, no, there are no shortcuts to success. Now, you can work hard and go 3,000 in a practice, and you can work hard and go 8,000 in a practice and everything in between. We do it all here at Indiana now, and, and you have to respect all of that. Um, but, you know, there's, there's some folks out there these days that if they fail, they want to blame it on the coach or their parents or their teachers. And just people need to accept responsibilities if they fail, and they need to look in the mirror, and they need to get back up and do a better job the next time because if you don't own up to what you need to improve then you're 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 not going to remain relevant you know you're going to get left behind be it academically in business um in anything you know and i i love history and i was just talking to one of my swimmers today ulysses grant um the great civil war general president of the united states he graduated near the bottom of his class at west point he was a drunk. He failed in business, yet he was, you know, the guy that won the Civil War for the, for the North. And, and it's, it was talking about the traits that made him successful. And, and one of those was setbacks didn't bother him at all. And, and I'll tell you, I've taken that to heart in my life. So, you know, if somebody's hating on me or we have a setback, um, you, know, I, you know, I'm willing to take some risks, and I, and I have, obviously. Uh, they've been calculated. Sometimes they work out. Sometimes they don't. But I always, I always do it with the the best interests in mind, and and I don't let it bother me. So, you know, I think it's an honor to be talked about in swim swim, even by the people that maybe don't care for me, because you're relevant. You know, you must be doing something right if they're talking about you, be it good or bad. So, you know that that you know before that nobody talked about Indiana at all. Now we're sexy. You committed the sin of being a program that threatens uh, one or two position and your name isn't Cal or Texas. And that, 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 that breaks the, the covenant in the religion that is college swimming. And uh, there, there's, there's um, I think that when anyone's on the rise and they're successful, we, we oftentimes see that on the front end. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it is a funny thing. But I, I do, I do find that people that are the most successful, oftentimes it, it is, is how big of an appetite do you have for rejection and for criticism, and you maintain who you are. There, there was a some, there was a talk I heard a long time ago, and they said Moses was the weakest, the meekest man in the Bible. He could, he, you could flatter him, you could criticize him. It didn't matter. He was going to walk the path. He was going to keep moving toward his goal. I see you like Moses. Yeah, you know, slow and steady sometimes wins a race, Mel. Proprioception. And, oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to add something to that? No, I just, I, you know, um, you're right about one thing. I, I don't think people want to see us go all the way to the top, but um, I've always gone off my gut. That's why I came to Indiana. That's why I have stayed here. And my gut tells me we're going to win the national title here. 
And I, 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 it, uh, Doc, yes, Doc, Doc Councilman will be smiling from heaven when we do. Um, and he, he was 100 years old um, recently, and we had a, a great alumni celebration. And just hearing the stories about about him, this this was Mark Spitz's coach and Gary Hall, and you know just so many many of our of our luminaries in the sport. So Indiana's almost there. We're on the doorstep, and we're going to kick it down. I love that. When I emailed you ahead of this, and we went back and forth, you said, "Let's talk about proprioception." And, and I and I looked it up, did a lot of research, and and I'm like, this is mind body connection. Your yeah. your your reaction to me, well, your your the way you explained it to me was, I do believe this is a this is a part of the future of our sport. Help me unpack that. How is this the future yeah. of our sport? So, so, Amel Stewart was a world record holder. Okay, gold medalist. Michael Phelps, one of the greatest swimmers ever. Um, even a, a swimmer like Reagan Smith. Um, and there's, there's some people that you can throw them in the water and they, they're just really good. Um, the Hungarians do this. You know, Hungary is really good in swimming and water polo, like better than they should be based on having like 9 million people. They literally throw the kids in the water at like age five and the ones that swim, they, they move them over here and they focus on them. Um, but I think that, you talk about some people have a good feel for the water and they, they feel what is faster, but that is a very rare gift. And you don't really realize that until you've coached a long time, you know, 25, 30 years to know, okay, if I, if I have you Mel and I say, Mel, do this with your stroke, you just did it probably. But then another, another youngster, it's going to take a hundred times changing your instructions every single time to get them, them to do that one thing. And if they don't do that one change, they really can't advance. So, you know, they're so, it's so competitive in the world of swimming and coaching. There's just a lot of good people that do it. And, you know, I don't know, five or six years ago, we, you know, we were like, okay, well, we're doing all these pulleys. And then we decided, hey, let's, let's get some underwater cameras. And I, asked, I talked to my diving coach, and I'm like, how do I get something that is reasonable that we can afford to do? Because the first time I tried to do this, they said that'll be $50,000 a year to, to do what I wanted to do. We're, we're, on, we're utilizing Wi-Fi, and we're doing real-time delay, live delayed taping you know, of the whole practice, covering the whole pool. And we made lots of mistakes, like we mounted some cameras and that's not good because in swimming you kind of want to move around. We really couldn't get the side view because you need to be on a track and, and that's honestly not real practical, trying to move something up and down because you're taking a coach away from practice. So, you know, we finally came, came up with a, something we could just hook off the gutter, capture two lanes. It's, it's live delayed and then over time, you know, with the help of um, – you know, um, some people in the tech world uh, and our diving coach, Drew Johansson, um, we got a pretty good system now that's affordable. And it's not, a, it's not anything out there that you can really, you know, go to, you know, your swim shop, your local swim shop and get. Um, but if anybody wants to email me, rlose at iu.edu, we'll, we'll be happy to tell you what we've done, how we've made our pulleys, 
how we put together our underwater system because we've done it affordably. Any club team could now have it. But what, what resistance training with a visual element does is it helps you teach that. It helps you teach body awareness because they can see it and they can, they can feel it better. So you can take people of different levels of talent and all of a sudden, because of that combination of resistance into an underwater camera, and John T called it contrast training. Um, but the, if there's, uh, you know, I was doing it for power, but the technical benefits are far greater. And I remember um, people telling me, oh, you can only do power, you know, power acts twice, twice a week or it's too much. Who made that rule? I don't know. I was just kind of doing what the best guys did at the time. Then we did three times a week. Then we did four times a week, five times a week, six times a week. Now we do it every single practice because it worked. We got results. And because it was enhancing technique more than anything else. And, and that's power, what. Power towers? What? Power towers? Yeah, well, we, we have a pulley system because power towers take up too much deck space oh, this is the cost i thought i didn't know if it was just the, the power towers expensive too my my system's cheaper so you have Our a pulley cheap. you have a pulley system this creates resistance um and what i'm unpacking here is that because frankly we didn't do it in my day we did very little of it it was i remember seeing randy reese do it and i was like what's randy doing randy's being weird but it's 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 a thing in swimming now but you you, you said something you said yeah, yeah the rule was only you can only do that twice a week but you're and doing that was a law for a long time. And you're doing and it every day. We started in 2015. We started to do it more. And, and it happened with our breaststroke group. And we talked about it and we, we realized like it was kind of a mistake. And we're like, you know, that, that breaststroke group's doing power five times a week. And, you know, it's kind of like Bill Belichick, you know, and his staff at the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. They could have called a timeout. And it would have helped the Seahawks, but they kept the chaos going. So we've had a lot of people come to our practice and say it's chaotic, but it works. And, you know, because it works and it allows for innovation. And our kids come up with ideas. Like I've learned so much from Lily King, Blake Peroni, Zane, uh, Grothy, Annie Laser. just there. They're like, hey, they know where we're trying to go with stuff. We're trying to improve technique. We're trying to reduce drag. Because swimming, human beings create a lot of drag unless you're really, really good. But even Michael Phelps created lots of drag. So if you can teach athletes how to reduce the drag that they're creating when they, when they move through the water, be it kicking or swimming, you're way ahead of the ball game. You know, tremendously ahead. And it's, it's the future of swimming. And... Chris Webb came up with the term pro preoception as that's sort of what you're doing. And the people that say you can't do it, you know, um, down the line there, you know, they're going to be proven wrong because I've seen it happen. I have proof. In terms of, um, okay. So I, under, I understand, I have, a, I have an understanding of that, but it's a, yeah. it's, so what is it doing for, I see it as mind body connection. And uh, Correct. That, that is, that's and that, a, it's a very crystallized definition. Uh, your definition was a little bit longer. Um, yeah. Did you share your definition? I'm sorry. 
No, I already shared the definition. Yeah, it's it's so so how do I how do I move from resistance training to mind body connection? What is what is what's going on? How am I laying down narrow pathways with all of this resistance? So you know we're a sport of repetition. So you know when you put somebody on any sort of resistance, and then you show them, then they can see in an underwater video what's actually happening. Then you have one pathway, I believe, that's been connected. So you're connecting the mind to the body, all right? And, and if you can do it again and again, then you can apply that to their swimming. So when we design our sets, we'll have resistance on the underwater camera, then we'll take off the resistance, let them execute the better technique, you know, higher body position, different head position, you know, because most people can't feel those things. You swam and you had better mind-body connection. Would you agree with that than most people? I, was, I became aware that I understood that intuitively I knew what was going on and everyone around me did not. I, I, was, right. I was aware of that at a very early age. Yes, and I'm just trying to give that, that awareness. That I'm trying to connect that in more people. Um, and this, this is a, a way to do it, you know, by, by them seeing it, then they, they can start to, to make the changes and you can lay down those connections from the mind to the body. Okay. And you can do it quicker. So if it took me a hundred times to make that change with an athlete, we're making it in 10. Oh, wow. It's, it's, it's quite a bit quicker. Okay. So. Uh, that mind-body connection, it's a great definition. It's, it's accurate. We're able to make that connection with our athletes. And, the, the, you know, the more they watch and the ones that really, you know, really do it diligently, all of a sudden they're just they're taking less strokes, you know, and they're going faster. Their body position is high in the water. And I'm like, look at it. You can see that it's faster. But they have to, you have to kind of tell them, hey, when your body's at right at the surface, it's faster. Like when you did side breathing. So when you, when you raise the head in, in butterfly, it's the heaviest part of the body. You know, you were one of the, you might've been the first person to do the side breath. And you were trying to lift your head out of the water less. Like, like in, in you were trying to do that. Yeah, you were trying to like, Keep your body high, take a quicker breath with less effort because you were like, hey, I'm going to go faster if I do that. Correct. I mean, I would assume that. I was, trying, I was, I was, I was the first person successful doing it. A few other people did it, but it was what I, the, the entire reason for doing it is because your head is heavy, but I was trying to tip my body position. So I was swimming 200 meters of butterfly downhill instead of swimming uphill. Yep. And I'm shocked. I still see it here and there, but I'm shocked that more people don't use it that could. It's sort of a forgotten thing because it was, it's different. It's really different. Uh, like underwater kicking, like Burkhoff was great at it. David Burkhoff in the eighties and this sort of stopped. And then all of a sudden people were going the whole, the whole lap and they had, they reeled it back in, but it didn't, it didn't take as quickly, but that's something you were doing 30 years ago. And I'm surprised we don't see it more because I think it had, it made sense. It had merit. It's, you know, and, it's funny. It's, 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 it's a, uh, my wife's like, why doesn't Michael Phelps breathe to the side? She's a non-swimmer. And I said, 
it's because when he takes his breath, he's popping his mouth. It's like his, his lips are a half an inch. His chin is right there on the surface and his mouth is just getting a breath of water. I said, it's the same thing. I was trying to keep my head low and I just wasn't that good. So I had to swim an ugly butterfly to, to accomplish this. So you, we race with the body that we bring to the pool. And, and everyone has to, yeah, they, they've, they've got to do their own stroke. This is what's fascinating about this. And it makes me kind of angry because I feel like now uh, we need to have a production and this, we need to, we need a proprioception uh, video on deck with you going, yeah, this is what it is. Check it out. This is how you do it. Here's step one. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing. So with the butterfly, you know, everybody thinks that we're just breaststroke here, but you know, that just be, that's just because we have people that swim fast breaststroke. But like with butterfly, I think it's all in your torso. Okay, so Michael Phelps' torso was, was very long. And, and that's, that's, that's his surfboard. So the smaller the torso, things have to change. The longer the torso, the better, I believe, in butterfly. You can, you can breathe every stroke if you want to. You could kind of breathe normally because your head's going to – you're riding a long surfboard, so you're at the edge of the, the surfboard, whereas if it's shorter, you got to do different things. And, and, and when, you, when you look at somebody's body, you have to be really open-minded to how they're going to swim. So, you know, that's where, you know, this contrast training or this, this mind-body connection, proprioception, whatever you want to call it, it's not one size fits all. It's sizing somebody up, seeing what they, how they ride in the water, and then, and then giving them things that will, short, will, will connect you know, they're, they're, what their mind wants them to do. Everybody wants to swim fast. You know, everybody wants to go to the Olympics. I, I have all these people sit on my couch and say, I want to go to the Olympics. Yet just a fraction actually do. But, um, yeah. And, and, and can, how do you get more people to understand that connection, to make that connection as coaches or as swimmers? And I think the future of swimming is this combination of, underwater video, seeing what's going on down there while they're in a resisted, you know, while they're, they're swimming with resistant re resistance or with a restriction. And then, and then you're going rounds of that. So you do a little bit of that, you know, you know, kids, everybody gets this. If you swim with, you know, a parachute and then you take it off, you feel good for a little bit, but then it goes away. So we do that the whole practice. Now you probably remember that when you would swim with a little resistance, then you take it off. You see people do that for meets because they want to feel good in the water. Who doesn't want to feel good, you know? And we do that the whole practice. We're in and out, in and out, in and out. So we're, we're like taking off gear, putting on gear. That's where the chaos element is. It happens. But, um, you know, just going 20 pulleys in a row, th that's just a power endeavor. But going two pulleys, you know, with kicking and swimming and doing like 10 rounds of that or, you know, however you want to design it, it's just up to your imagination. I get it. Because you're the, – the difference between good and great is um, it's just that grit and the difference between great and iconic – 
is a level of mind body connection. It's your, I know like I have this thumbnail in my brain when I see it, I'm like, that person has neural pathways that have been laid down like, like a super highway and they are just ingrained. So now it's like breathing and it does to, it, it is the most unglamorous, hardest thing you can do. It just, it's just time plus effort, but I see it. That's, it's so simple. It would, you know, what's fascinating to me is that when, when you have someone who, who, who makes this breakthrough and, and, and has this understanding about anything that they love, their sport, music, whatever it is, you know, they're so proud of it. And they're so, they're like, I've, I've discovered this. And they're like, Hey, come see. And uh, you're like, you know, you're just saying, here's my email. Come check it out. This is how we do it. We've gotten over the hurdle of the cost, you know, the cost impediment. And, um, that is empowering. And it's, uh, I, I can feel your, your sense of discovery. You know, you're, uh, it's so, so is this something that so just happened in 15? You're like, we started doing this in 15 yeah. and you've been, you've been refining it year over year. It's uh, what sort of, what have you learned in that period of time and, and what adjustments have you made? Well, I, I learned that, you know, if you're under the water, even a quarter inch, you know, especially your hips, if they're, just a little bit low, you have major problems. The drag, the drag coefficient is just, just goes off the charts. And as the, you know, so the kids that kind of swim, you know, lower in the water, that that's an issue. So, you know, we, you know, with some of those kids, we started to put on technical suits more and more and more because I'm like, well, why swim like crap? Why swim in a bad body position? Maybe if we lay those pathways, by wearing the technical suit and workout. Um, and I got the idea at world championships from Ra um, Raspis's coach. Um, they were suiting up like four times a week. And I'm like, God, that, that's crazy. But they, they weren't doing it just in lactate sets. They're doing it in aerobic sets. So some of our challenge sets, we have our distance kids doing like, you know, their longer repetition stuff in a suit. And all of a sudden those practices that were just slogs are now exciting amazing and how is that bad and you know people like speedo are really excited because they can sell more technical suits now uh and and they should i mean you should have a couple technical suits you know that you you use in practice and if you've got a kid that you want to get to be higher in the water give them a chance you know, and part of it is the way you design your practice, but also, you know, you can just throw on a technical suit and it's not, it's not a cop out. You know, I'd rather compete without a technical suit because I want to see where, where are we really at? What kind of progress have we made? So the hips, you got to figure out ways to keep the hips high. And, and then the head position, you know, when people talk about your line, what's the perfect line in swimming? It's a streamline, right? It's that simple. So if you can add up all the time in a given race that you're spending in a streamline position, even if it's only five tenths, five tenths of a second greater than it was, oh, you're going to drop a ton of time, ton of time. And, and kids like to go fast. And having a good line, spending more time in that, that perfect line is, is good. So like I always, I use this, a term eyes on the bottom of the pool. 
why would you ever want to look forward underwater? You don't. You, you really don't. And the other thing that's really important is when, when people come off a wall and they're, they're, they're using the underwaters, you know, the underwater kick, the hips need to be minimally in line with the head. But if you can have your head a little lower than the hips, your, 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 the, the, you know, the, the power per kick is, is, is going to be more maximized. And that, that, uh, that must have to do with hydrodynamics. But when I was at Phoenix Swim Club, we had a hydraulic rope, a rope tow. And there was one at the Olympic Training Center. You know, it was hydraulic and it would like pull you to like 20 seconds per 50 meters. And sometimes I'd just put the kids on it and I'd say, just streamline. Do, do what feels fast. Because when you have a tool like that and, and they're, they're gone now, like all of those things are gone because they're, they're just, you know, to have flags and stuff. It was really complicated to, to implement. But boy, they, they really, you know, that taught feel too. Gary Hall Jr. would just go on that thing for like an hour, just working on a stroke. Mm-hmm. So those, those, are, those are some givens. Now, how you get there, lots of ways to skin a cat. The big takeaway is if you're laying down neural pathways and you're spending all your time in the pool and we spend enormous amounts of time that's invested in our sport, you, you, it sounds like you, you want to be doing exactly what is efficient with the least amount of drag and you're bringing every tool in the toolkit to make that happen. And, and you're hyper-focused on it. Correct. And there's so many ways you can do that. You do need to spend time in the water. So the programs that do a ton of dry land and maybe don't swim much, you know, uh, you know, that might hold you back when you get in a 50 meter pool, but you could go 2000 in a practice, but that practice could last two hours. I could design a 2000 yard or meter practice to last that long. I think time in the water is critical. It doesn't matter how far you go necessarily, but we're a sport of repetition, whether we like it or not, you're not going to pick up a golf club and start, striking the ball the same way every time unless you put in the reps how do you put in those reps man there's just tons of ways to do that and we haven't even thought of half of them at this point but if you can you got to do positive repetitions that's what lays the pathway and if you're doing negative repetitions you're reinforcing those those bad habits and you're really not making progress so as coaches as swimmers how can we spend more time doing things that reduce drag, that, that is a positive repetition, so then when we race, we can just do it. We don't have to think about it. Proprioception. This is, I have a yeah. feeling that we're going to be unpacking this year over year as you learn well, more, because you're going to make new discoveries. It's a good debate, and people are doing it everywhere. Like Sean Smith up at the Hilltoppers, we had a great talk you know, a, couple, you know, a few weeks ago and um, I'm just like, hey, here's some things that I have tried that I've done. And he called me up not too long ago and was like, you know, you're, you're one of the few coaches that actually taught me something. You shared with me and you taught me something. But that's what we should be doing as coaches. Sometimes we sort of get wrapped up, you know, in kind of trying to hide what we do. But um, I, I'm an open book. You know, if you want to come watch practice, 
given, given not in a pandemic, doors always open. And I learned from those visiting coaches as well. They'll go, well, hey, why are you doing this? They'll, they'll challenge it. And you have to challenge what you're doing. And you have to be willing to, to, to go to a dead end. Sometimes the things you do don't always work out. But if you're, if you're exploring, I think good things are going to happen. And, you know, you just make sure not to, you know, if, if, it's, if it's a path you don't want to go down, that's fine. Just don't do it again. We're coming up on the end of our time because you have practice yeah. coming up. You got any takeaways, any, any parting thoughts? You know, I, I think that uh, this pandemic is going to be done real soon. And I think we're all going to be better for it. Certainly more grateful. And I hope we don't lose, you know, the patience and the grace and the humility that maybe we've had to, you know, uh, that we've had to learn, and, you know, as we kind of move forward to 2021. But I think, I think 2021 is going to be an awesome year. Uh, I already feel positive and optimistic. Um, but I will say just having an optimistic mindset. You know, at any one time, I think on planet Earth, there's 350,000 people that are 100 years old or greater, something like that. And one of the main traits is they're optimistic. You know, they, they, they're not pessimists. So think of what, where we can go as a sport. You know, and I, I choose to kind of live that way because like in collegiate sports, there's a lot to be afraid of. There's a lot to, you know, look at and say, man, we're not in a great place, but you can change that and you can change it right up here in your mindset, your mentality. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.